0: going to preach a bit. Do you fancy some, some, some food this morning? <clears throat> I just want to prophesy first, okay? Uh, because what, what Dave is saying um, really is quite prophetic. And I was sitting down talking to Noel yesterday, and we were discussing how wonderful the culture is in the church since Dave and Faye took the leadership here. Come on, somebody say amen here. The culture is just remarkable. And I was explaining to Noel how um, culture is created through the leadership that God places in the church. And uh, when I was here uh, as the senior pastor, then uh, obviously the the uh, culture was created because of the gift that God uh, placed on my life, the anointing on my life, um, you know, the culture was created. And the same is happening with, with Dave and Faye. There's a wonderful culture of family and belonging and love. Come on, somebody say amen. There, you feel it as soon as you come in here. And then as we were talking about culture, this came out of my spirit. And and the hairs on my arm just went went up because I realized... It, it didn't come out of my mind, it came out of my spirit. And I said to Noel, you see Noel, what, what's what been happening over the the 25 years, my ministry for 25 years here, I've been building down. And it, it came out of my mouth and I thought, and I looked at Noel, he looked at me, he goes, what? And I go, what? I've been building down. And then I began to realize, you see When you see these massive skyscrapers, have you seen them? It's like sometimes, you know, 50, 60 stories high. You know, in order for that building to fulfill its purpose and be strong and tall, the foundation is sometimes nearly half the size underground as you see on top. And very often, very often, um it takes longer to build down and, and build a foundation than it does to build the building above earth. And then the Holy Ghost said to me, Ray, for 25 years you've been building down. And under my leadership over 25 years here, I've been anointed to build down. To set foundations. And I'm telling you something right now. And I'm prophesying here. Under the leadership of Dave and Faye. And those that they gather around them. This building is going to go up. Come on somebody. It's going to go up. It's going to go up. It's going to go up. Come on. I want you to give Jesus some praise in this house right here. The foundation of this house is the gospel of the grace of God. And the reason why we have not seen the manifestation of the miraculous in the church in Europe particularly is for too long, for too long, the ministry of death has been preached in our churches instead of the gospel of the grace of God. And I'm telling you, I'm prophesying to you right now I said to Faye, I said, when Faye prays, you're going to see miracles of healing when she prays. These two guys have gone into another level. And it's all because of the anointing of the Holy Ghost and the calling of God. And the relationship that Dave and I have, I said to him the other day, Dave, you're the dad now. I'm the granddad. You raise her, I'll spoil her. So, so when I, when I, you know, the the, the odd time, maybe four or five times a year that I come here, you know, (laughs) Dave's been raising you and giving it all, and I can just come as a granddad, take you, then hunt you back. Come on, somebody say amen. Let's give Jesus some praise in this house right here. And the reason, the reason why. Many sincere Christians don't enjoy their Christian life. And uh, I started this, you know, this is not the, the, the third one in the, in the title, The Protocol of Grace. And I'll, I'll just preach for a little while, see how the Holy Ghost, and then I'll sing the song, and then we'll pray for people. But I, I agree with Dave, there's a great expectation here. The reason why many sincere Christians don't enjoy their Christian life is because they try to relate to and approach a new covenant God with an old covenant protocol. For any preacher, and and if there's any preacher listening to me right now on podcast or through the social media, for any preacher to insist and preach that obedience to the Ten Commandments is necessary to maintain a relationship with God is not only wrong, but it's in total violation of their God-given calling. There are actually any preacher that stands up and says, well, you are a Christian now, you, you, Jesus is living in your heart, but you have to do your best to keep the Ten Commandments. And listen to me, I was one of those preachers. That's why when I speak to ministers and preachers of the gospel and pastors, I'm passionate about this because I don't come from a judgmental standpoint. I come from a revelational one. And any one of us that, that, that preaches that you receive Jesus, but now you've got to try to keep the Ten Commandments, um, not only are we in violation of, of our God-given calling, but we are actually living in disobedience to God. And even worse, the people who sit under preaching that says, you've got to do your best to keep the Ten Commandments, any preacher, any pastor that teaches their congregation that are actually bringing their congregation under a curse. That's how serious it is. That, that that's how that's why Paul was beaten up and persecuted. Because that's what he said. He said to the Galatian church, He said, A double curse. Come on, anyone that preaches another gospel than the one I preach. Because it's because Jesus, I mean, Faye prayed it, Dave said it this morning. Jesus wants his people to enjoy abundant life, guilt-free, condemnation-free, joy-filled, blessed. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody, say amen. That's the heart of Jesus. And, uh, and uh, I, I, I read this scripture very often when I'm teaching pastors. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 and 9. You need to meditate on this if you're a preacher. And also, congregations need to get wise as to what they're sitting under. And if you leave any church feeling condemned and unsuitable for service, I'm telling you something now, you've not heard the gospel. You've come under law. Watch this. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Now, I love this. I love this. Our qualification comes from God. Dave and Fay's qualification to lead this house comes from God. You may be more intelligent than them. You may be, you're never as good looking as them. You, you may have more degrees than them. You may feel you can preach better than them. You may feel you could lead better, but it means squat when, when, when the fact is God has called this couple to lead this house. That's a fact. And I continually tell Dave the same thing that the Holy Ghost said to me. Uh, 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 Dave, uh, you are secure. You know. And this is the security. Our qualification comes from God. Any preacher that wants to gather people around them to, to make them look as if they've got qualifications. They're going to end up not only messing their lives up, but the people that follow them. And I'll tell you this, man. Listen, if if you if you have made this church your home, this church has seen storm and trouble and trial and satanic attack, but it's still here because it's been planted by God, and not only still here, not only still here, but touching the nation and the nations. The reason why in the next two weeks I will have the privilege of preaching to over 100,000 people face to face is because of this house. Come on, somebody say amen. It's because this is my home. So when the, Satan's try to take it out. And we'll have little groups of people meeting around Newport with self-appointed leaders affecting no one. Just navel gazing and comparing each other with each other. No, no. Our qualification comes from God. That's what Paul said. And he, 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 he was challenged in all ways. And look at this. And then he goes on to say something amazing. It is he that has enabled us to be ministers of the Ten Commandments. But that's how many preachers read it. He has enabled us to be ministers of the new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, come on somebody, the Spirit gives life. The old way. With laws etched on stone. Now you don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand what was etched on stone. The Ten Commandments. Led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God. Even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect a far greater glory under the new way? Now that the Holy Spirit is giving life, if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God. Can we give praise to Jesus for this? This is the day of the new covenant. And in my preacher's master class, I encourage preachers to realize that they are more than talking heads. And for me, the most essential ingredient for any preacher is not their craft, but their identity. Knowing who you are is far more important than what you do and how you do it. Identity. If you don't know that you are being qualified by God, if you don't know that you've been anointed to preach the new covenant, then shut up. Just shut your mouth. Or get to God and sort yourself out. I had to do it. And sometimes it takes time. But I believe God is speeding up the process. Come on somebody. He's turning water into wine in seconds rather than years. Unless the preacher knows they've been graced to preach a new covenant. Not only will they receive God's grace in vain. But they will open a door for the enemy. To bring condemnation and fear and a judgmental spirit into his congregation. And if any preacher does not understand who they are, that they've been anointed to preach the new covenant of the grace of God, even worse, they will keep their congregation in darkness. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 14 says, But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is read, Not even preached. When it's read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. If you sit in a church where the preacher is telling you that unless you obey the Ten Commandments, you move out of favor with God, it's about your commitment, about your faithfulness, about you. If you sit under anything like that, I'm telling you now, you'll you'll, you'll sit in darkness. That's why I'm passionate about this. Is anybody out there? You can only come out of slavery and spiritual darkness through the gospel of the grace of God, the new covenant. For any preacher to preach the old covenant is like someone t- to to be gifted to play the piano but insists they want to play the violin. You're not graced to play the violin. You're graced to play the piano. And and in the new covenant, preachers, listen to me. You're not graced to preach the Ten Commandments. You are graced to preach the new covenant of the gospel of the grace of God. Come on and stick with it. And when that happens, the result will be frustration for the preacher. And ear bashing for the congregation. One of the reasons we experience so much failure in our Christian life is because we think more about old covenant obligations instead of new covenant declarations. That's tweetable. The only Christians, listen to this, the only Christians that end up getting better are those who realize that if they don't get better, God will love them anyway. Come on, did you hear what I just said here? And when I, when I, you know, as a minister, grace to preach a new covenant, I'm confident of my identity in Christ. I've been graced and anointed and privileged to preach the gospel of the grace of God, the new covenant. And I, I'm not just a talking head. When you see that, I begin to realize in any given moment, whenever I stand up to minister to God's church, Sometimes I'm an officer giving instructions to an army. Sometimes I'm a farmer tending to a field. Sometimes I'm a doctor dispensing prescriptions. Sometimes I'm an ambassador representing a sovereign. Sometimes I'm a governor organized in a city. A foster parent caring for somebody else's family. I can stand up. As a preacher in some places and realize at that moment, I'm a physiotherapist helping a body to function in coordination. Are you still here? This is more than just spouting words. And when a preacher understands their identity and the congregation understands it, then amazing things can take place. Sometimes I'm a coach uh, helping a team to play well. Sometimes I'm a shepherd tending to a flock. A chef serving a la carte. Sometimes I'm a blacksmith sharpening weapons. Sometimes I'm a priest ministering in a temple. I know this and this is our security, Dave. We are hand-picked, personally delivered gifts. To the church of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody say amen. We didn't choose this. Jesus chose us specifically. Dave doesn't have a gift for the church. He is the gift to the church. And he's been delivered personally by Jesus. So you better treat the gift That Jesus has given you with great honor and great respect. Come on, and great appreciation. Sometimes I'm a laborer on a building site. I feel like that a lot of times in the church. Sometimes I'm a servant washing feet. But you know what excites me the most about my calling as a preacher of the new covenant? I stand as an executor of a will. Declaring to the beneficiaries what is rightfully theirs in Christ under the new covenant. The only difference in the spiritual is the person who left the will is still alive to make sure that you get what you are deserve to, to get. Come on somebody say amen. That's why he will get in any preacher's face like he did to the pastors in Revelation and said, excuse me, you're not telling the people what's theirs. I told you, you're an executor of the new covenant. Why are you preaching old covenant? Come on. Let's give Jesus praise. I'm preaching myself really happy here. Knowing who I am as a preacher of the new covenant, Delivers me from discouragement, delivers me from apathy, delivers me from the fear of men. I couldn't get on monkeys. I used to, I, I used to feel so inferior. Uh, the Lord used to open doors, I'd be preaching. Twice I preached after TD Jakes. What? I've I've, I've got the privilege of preaching for Joseph. Joseph doesn't have, I think he has, I think I know of two preachers that's been there. One is Brian, the other one is Darlene. And and now this hobbit from the shire is down there. (laughs) But you know what? And people said to me, don't you feel a bit in... No, I don't feel intimidated one squat. You know why? Because I know... I know, I know what I'm called to do. I know what God's gifted me to do. And that's not arrogance. In fact, you be, it's quite humbling. It's the grace of God that enables us. I'm telling you. You know, I. I uh, some of you may not know this, but you know lila and i we it's our, it's my second marriage to my first marriage ended after twenty six years, and uh, that was like sixteen years ago now, and I had to pastor the church while going through a divorce and I remember when when my first wife just left, and I'm, I came home, and I'm sitting in the house with nothing, and uh, and, and and I just couldn't do it. I, I, I called some of the leaders. I said, I can't, I can't do this. And they said, Well, tell the people then. So I got up here. I said, I, I, Do you know what happened? The Lord said, You're not going to. He said, You're not going to go preach next Sunday. He said, He said, I know you'd want to. I know you would, but people will think you're stupid. Your wife's just left you. I mean, are you going to stand up there? No. So what is, this is why I know that preaching is a grace thing. He took it off me. I couldn't preach if I wanted to. It's like taking an overcoat off me. I told the guys I can't. And I sat here for five weeks, six weeks, maybe, I don't know, eight weeks. So I sat in the front row because I needed healing too. Come on, somebody, we're not, you know, don't, don't pedestalize preachers. All right. Got clay feet. Go through the same stuff. They, they just call to do something different. And I just sat there. David, here. Yeah, I just sat here. And, uh, and I couldn't preach, if you ask me. So then I remember about, I don't know, a couple of months later, I'm, I'm up on the golf course. That's what I get released on the golf course. When, I'm, when I got a 7 iron in my hand, I could care less if the Antichrist turns up in the inn shops. I really don't care. I was just, I could cut this. So I'm thinking this, and the Holy Ghost, in a split second, it's like an atomic second, showed me the whole scenario of Samuel mourning for Saul. I'll never forget it. And he was mourning for Saul. He was mourning for Saul. And then God came to him and said, Now, Samuel, I've given you time to mourn. Now you're overstepping the mourning now. There's a David to anoint and you can't anoint a David feeling like this. And he spoke to me. And you know what? It came back on me. Do you know what? You can imagine when I was like that Sunday? I was like a flipping screaming banshee. And I learned a lesson. It's not by might. My... Come on somebody say. somebody, you better help me here. It's not by might. My... Dave, it's not by might. My... It's not by power. It's not by psyching yourself up. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. And unless the Lord builds the house, you can have all the technique you want. You can have some, some, some flash guy come in and say he's got some new method and we're going to do it this way and there's a new deal. I'm telling you something right now. It's a load of rubbish if the grace of God, if you have not been qualified by God, you'll have a nervous breakdown. Somebody say amen in this house right here. Can we give Jesus another praise? I'm preaching myself. I've got, I got a couple of minutes here. I remember my days as a, as a law-based preacher. I can still remember some of my illustrations. I remember once looking out the window... When I was living in Glenith, and and, it, and and I saw the sheep on, on the on the mountainside, and uh, I, I, and I saw the white the, the white wool against the green background of the field, and uh, and I thought, wow, that looks beautiful. And then I got up the following day, and it had snowed the night before, and I looked at the same sheep. Which, which I thought was white against the green. But now they look very grey against the white. And I remember, what a great illustration. And the lesson from my law marinated mind was this. You're not as holy as you think you are. Compared with the spotlessness of Jesus. You may look good to other Christians. But how does your purity check up against the backdrop of his purity? Condemnation followed, driving my sincere heart to work harder to up my game in the purity quarter. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying here? Because that's what the Lord does. I'll never forget another illustration I used. I got up one morning and, uh, and the, you know, the bright November sun was shining through the window and it was just revealing all the dust that had not been cleaned, just it looked clean, but then this bright November sun revealed all the dust in the house, and then Satan again, using the club of the law upon my already bludgeoned conscience, demanded I should be more diligent in my daily spiritual cleaning. To make sure when the eyes of the Son of God blaze through the windows of my life, not a trace of dust will be seen. What a way to live. And I lived like that. And there are thousands of Christians who live like that. That's why for the rest of my days, I'm going to have the joy of of ministering as an abolitionist using the gospel of the grace of God to set his people free. I wish I'd understood the wonderful liberating revelation found in Psalm 27 verse 4. And I, I, I'm just going to wind this up here. Time's gone, but I'll just wind this up. Have you enjoyed the word this morning here? But watch this, meditate on this, okay? Psalm 27, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek the most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Watch this, delighting in the Lord's perfections. Delighting in the Lord's perfections. You see, the reason why many Christians are not enjoying their life is because they are meditating on their own imperfections instead of the Lord's perfections. We've got to direct, the new covenant directs, redirects our gaze. Hallelujah. The law says do, grace says done. The law says gray sheep, grace says pure snow. The law says, look at the dust. Grace says, look at the sun. The glorious truth regarding the gospel of the grace of God is that it redirects your gaze from your imperfection to his perfection. Grace doesn't do it with the motive of comparison to condemn you, but with a desire to release you from the treadmill of dew. Oh, I'm done. I, I'm going to sing a song here. Yeah. Let, let, me just, let me just read this. I, I read this story, and then I'm going to sing the song, because are we okay for time, Dave? We're doing all right. Are you okay, guys? We've got a massive fridge freezer for the kids. Don't worry about it. That was a joke. General John Wainwright was the only U.S. general captured by the enemy during World War II. He was left in charge of Corregidor in the Philippines by his superior, General Douglas MacArthur, when he was forced to flee to Australia to organize the Allied forces' massive counterpunch that eventually defeated Japan. MacArthur's orders to Wainwright were very clear, never surrender, fight to the end. Well, Wainwright tried very hard to stick to the letter of that order. However, the massive, systematic, merciless destruction he saw around him finally forced him, against his convictions, to surrender. He and what was left of his ragtag army were shipped off to a prison of war camp all over Asia. Thousands died while in transit. But Wainwright himself ended up in a prison of war camp in Mongolia. The Japanese guarded him as a precious prize. In due time, Douglas MacArthur led his troops to total victory. The rising sun became the setting sun as MacArthur and his troops evicted the Japanese from island after island all over the Pacific. He eventually occupied Japan, took up residence in Tokyo and the once formidable Japanese Empire fell, surrendered. When this happened, prisoner war camps were liberated all over Asia. But because Wainwright was held in Mongolia, far away from Tokyo, his camp commandant was able to keep the truth from him for a while. Consequently, Wainwright continued to behave like a prisoner of war. The only thing that enabled the Japanese commandant to keep up his fraud was, ig- was Wainwright's ignorance of the truth. Wainwright had been liberated, but he didn't know it. And there are so many Christians who are living in a prison of war camp. Watch this now. Because you've surrendered against your convictions. And the preachers have told you should have known better. God's forgotten you. How could you do that? You've been a Christian for 20 years. And some of you, because the gospel of the grace of God has been hidden from you, the enemy has kept you bound by preaching the law to you, and you've surrendered against your convictions, and you'd rather live because you almost feel you deserve it.